Hi, this is Claire from Come Back Brighter. You're listening to my podcast about healing after narcissistic abuse. Welcome. Hi, it's Claire from Come Back Brighter here. I'm going to share a story with you today about something that that I did. Uh, I did more than once when I was 14 and 15 years old. So this was this was a challenge on Dartmoor, which is um, an area near where I lived. And it's like, um, it's pretty barren. Um, it um, can be very different kind of terrain. So there's lots of stones and bogs and there's like tours, which are like big hills with like rocks at the top. Okay. And this was run by the army. Okay. Not the training, but the actual 10 tours event itself, which was like, was a 35 mile, 45 mile or 55 mile walk over two days and that involved climbing 10 tours hence why it was called 10 tours and it was run by the army on the actual event okay because the the weather conditions could be so so terrible that they had to get helicopters in to lift people off of the moor if it got too bad if if there were people who were injured or if there were people that were suffering from hypothermia or who had heat stroke or if in in any other way were like suffering, the army had to intervene. So they ran it and it was like an exercise for them. It's like practice for them, but it was also something to get the kids involved into like a real, real big challenge. Okay. Just to give you an idea. Okay. Because it needed the structure of the army to be able to deal with this if, if needed. Okay, so this was this was um, I did the 35 mile one twice, and that meant that I walked over over the two days of the weekend. I walked a total of 35 miles, and that was up 10 tours. So you had to to get to the summit of each of these 10 tours. Okay, and you had to carry everything. Okay, and there's nothing that can really truly make you aware of of like how essential things are if there's two things how much does it weigh how much space does it take up okay because we'd have to carry everything so that would be our tent the entire tent okay and this was like this was like a canvas tent this wasn't like a modern tent like they have now these lovely things that you just kind of lay out and go poof and it springs up this was an A-frame tent with the poles and the inner liner and the outer liner, okay? And we had to carry that divided amongst the team. We had to carry our um, cooking equipment, so a little trangier, I think they're called, uh, with the fuel as well, which we shared amongst the team as well. So all this was divided amongst the team. And you had to carry spare clothes, wet clothes, because it was probably going to rain, um, and... Um, all your food and a towel and your drinking bottle and um, like your emergency kit as well. So there was like emergency rations and like uh, a bivy bag. They were called big orange plastic bag, big enough to put you in so that if you were suffering or a team member was suffering with hypothermia, you'd get in there and you'd warm up much more quickly and you'd be protected more from the elements in this in this bivy bag. So everything was on your back and you had this like pretense 
at some sort of mattress called a carry mat, which was like a thin layer of foam, a bit like a yoga mat. And that is what you'd sleep on. So you'd have your sleeping bag as well and a little pillow. And so everything you carried. OK. And I do remember on many occasions, it sometimes took me ages to pack because I put all the stuff out on the bed and it would be right. I've got to take that. I've got to take that. And I'd pack it and it wouldn't fit in. And it'd be like, oh, well, hang on, I've got to take that out. I can't take that with me. So it was really, it was really an exercise in like working down to the like bare essentials of what I needed every single time, because there's nothing worse than dragging something with you on your back for all those miles and then finishing and going, oh, I didn't need that after all. So this wasn't something that you could just do off the cuff. There was a lot of training involved. Sometimes they were overnight. Sometimes they were just day training. So you just go out and just walk for the day. And this was all run through the school. Okay. And so, um, so you train for the day. You, like I say, you take everything with you. And I remember, I remember it didn't matter how careful I was or we were when we were pitching the tent. You'd want to, to like pitch so it was level. Okay. And that's like practically impossible on Dartmoor. Um, but I would always want to make sure that it was like as smooth as possible. So like flat. Okay. And it didn't matter. Right. I could check the whole tent. Right. And I, right, that's going to, I'm going to sleep there. That's where I want to sleep. Okay. That's where I put my carry mat. That's where I'm going to sleep. And I don't know what happened, but no matter how careful I was, there was always a rock that would come up in the night right in like the small of my back, right in the middle. So if I was laying on my back, it was there. And it was the same every single time we camped. Every single time we slept out, I had that rock sticking through my back. Um, and we'd have to get up at like five o'clock in the morning to pack the tent up in order to be starting to be walking early enough to get the walking in that we needed to do to, to finish the whole thing. So, and it was never really sleep. <laughs> but I do remember the worst experience that I had about this whole thing. And that was that, that on Dartmoor, sometimes it could rain all day. And because we were doing this like um, at the end of the winter, beginning of the spring, it was still quite cold. And I remember walking down this hill and the rain was coming in like it wasn't dropping down it was coming in like diagonally like almost horizontally into my face and it wasn't rain it was sleet and the wind was so strong it was driving into my face and it felt like like cold needles coming into my face and I remember trying to pull the hood on my coat round to, to protect my face. And it did a little bit, but it didn't do very much because we were walking into it. And I think that, that there were many times when that I was struggling so hard. It was so difficult. I was cold. I was wet. I was hungry. I had blisters that were massive. Always, I always suffered with really bad blisters. That the rain would like mingle with my tears as we were walking. I'd always end up crying. There'd always be a stage when I hit like rock bottom. Always. 
and I'm sure you can relate. I'm sure there have been times when you've hit rock bottom too. But you just have to carry on. I just had to carry on. And I remember particularly with the blisters, I don't know if I had like soft feet or sensitive feet, but I would get massive blisters, absolutely massive blisters. And sometimes I remember one occasion I got a blister on a blister because the, the original blister had like rubbed away. Ooh. And then another blister had formed on top of the original blister. And when I stopped, I'd have to like when I when I stopped and took my boots off, when I finished walking, I'd have to walk on like the edges of my feet. So for like a couple of days afterwards, I'd be walking around the house with on the edges of my feet and I'd, I'd go to school and I'd be walking weird because because I'd have I'd be trying to walk on the bits of my feet that didn't have any blisters on or maybe the bits of my feet that didn't have so bad blisters as everywhere else. But I tried everything. I tried two pairs of socks. I tried these compede plasters that the idea is that it rubs the compede, that, that it's a bit like skin, it's a bit like rubbery, and then doesn't rub your feet, but that didn't work. I tried plasters. I think I tried, I'm sure this isn't good, like soaking my feet in some sort of chemical or something to try to harden them up. And nothing worked. I just had awful, awful blisters every single time. And I do remember, I do remember one occasion when, when, because this was like, it was weather. It was weather on Dartmoor. And it was like, it was always like extreme weather. It, it, there were a few occasions when the best was if it was cloudy. That was the best, but not raining because it wasn't too hot and it wasn't raining. That was the best. But I don't remember that happened very often. I do remember one occasion we had a team member who we thought was coming down with hypothermia, which is a real thing. It's real. <laughs> and we didn't, the, the, this particular tour, some tours had like just one big bunch of rocks at the top and you knew that was the top of the tour. But this particular tour had like like bunches of rocks, but they were quite far apart. And the fog was so thick, we couldn't see like even like 20 meters in front of us. So we had this team member who we were getting seriously concerned about. We knew there was a teacher at the top, you know, at the meeting point of this tour, wherever that was. But And we wandered around for ages. And then we made the decision to stop. And we got um, we got the guy who was suffering under a tent, put the outer bit up and put him in a bivy bag. And then a couple of people went off to find the tour. And I remember they they found the teacher who's only like 100, maybe 200 meters away. And the fog lifted and you could see them. We could see them. But it was so dense, the fog, that we hadn't been able to see them. But anyway, that guy was fine. Um, he, he was taken off of that particular weekend, but he was fine. He didn't. He did have hypothermia, but I think it was just a very mild case. So this was like, this is real, okay? And I remember one one particular occasion um, talking about the cold weather again. Um, we'd always put our, our really mucky, wet, um, muddy, disgusting um, walking boots in the like outer tent. So in the first bit of the tent, and then we'd sleep in the in the inner bit. And I remember one morning waking up, and and not only did I have to put my lovely warm toasty feet into these freezing cold 
still wet, of course, walking boots, but the but the laces were frozen. And and I don't know how, but I think I just like broke the ice <laughs> on the laces to tie them. And that was really that was like that was a real experience. And and there was also this thing, you know, we didn't carry water with us. If we wanted water, which we needed to stay hydrated, we had to use, take it from like streams or like rivers or what have you. And they always said to us, make sure just go a little bit upstream before you take your water, just to make sure that it, the water's going to be clean. And I and I took some water. I checked a little bit upstream, took some water. And um, we were then crossing the river and then walking upriver. So we were walking against the, the stream. And and we walked like about five or ten minutes and there was a dead sheep in the river, just like bobbing there. Really gross. I can still see it in my mind's eye now. And I decided that I was going to throw that water out. But with the water, you had like there was two different types of tablets. There was a tablet that took ten minutes to like disinfect your water but it tasted like a swimming pool and then there was another one that took two hours but it didn't taste so much like a swimming pool so out of preference I'd always go for the one that took two hours but then it meant I couldn't drink anything for two hours um so it was a real challenge and and during the whole time that that I did this because like I said I did this for two years we had people that were dropping out because they did like sprain their ankle we had people coming out with hypothermia we had people coming out with exhaustion. Um, it it really was a really, really massive, really massive challenge. Um, and, th and that's not even talking about what we had to do when we needed to go to the toilet. And that was just tell everybody that you're going to the toilet because the last thing you wanted was somebody wandering around looking for water or whatever or another team coming. <laughs> so you'd have to like disappear behind a rock and do what you needed to do. And you saw all the weathers. It was like extremes of weather. I can remember one occasion when it was really hot and and they were obviously worried about us dehydrating. Uh, so they made sure that we had we had to drink a lot of water. But most of the time, I remember like the misery and the grind of the wet, the cold, the wind. It would get like go straight through you. It was it, something you could be wearing all your clothes and your waterproof coat that on occasions I found out wasn't quite so waterproof as what I thought it was. And then, and it felt like I'm wearing all the stuff, but, but I, <laughs> I'm wearing all the stuff, but the wind is coming at me. And I felt like I was like naked because it was, I was so cold. It would get down into your bones. It was, it was that cold. So this was a real, real challenge. And of course this is before mobile phones. So so there was also the really real risk every single time that you would get lost because you'd be you'd be going by a map and a compass and that would be your kit and your guides of you know where you needed to go and and all the rest of it you're like instructions if you like your route but that was it there was no mobile phones at all so that if you got stuck you had to you had to find your way out of it uh, and you had to and I remember as well there was like the uh, um a bog we had to cross which was like like peat on like I don't know how deep the water was and and we had to make the decision about whether to go across the bog or go around it and we decided to go across it 
but it was that was probably one of the most terrifying experiences of my life because I knew that if I just wasn't careful, I could put my foot in the wrong place and that would be it. I'd be gone. I'd be sucked into the bog. <laughs> so, um, you know, now it sounds really dangerous. <laughs> I keep sending a bunch of teenagers out to do this. But, but, but somebody's once said to me, why did I do it? And the, believe me, there were many, many, many times when I thought to myself, why do I do this? Am I crazy? And this was always the times when, when I was cold and miserable and tired and my feet were bleeding. I used to like take my feet out of my shoes and out of my socks and be like, I don't know what I'm going to find here. And I'm not very happy about this. I don't know what state my feet are going to be in. But anyway, why did I do? I did it because of that feeling of achievement at the end. Because at the for the actual 10 tours, which was was I think one year, it was actually over my birthday weekend, it was um they had this like funnel of people that all the supporters and the parents and the teachers that would would stand there and like greet everybody as they came in as you walked up to the finishing line. And the feeling of coming of 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 walking that last bit i could have hopped and skipped and done all the stuff just coming through there just for that feeling of of having done it of having like faced a challenge and completed it and just to show that i wasn't a complete worst like i say i did it twice i did both years i did the 35 miles and i completed it both times for which I'm quite proud of myself. But anyway, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I was always like made to feel like I was flaky and not committed and not capable of like meeting a challenge. And I was like inconsistent and I didn't have the determination. I didn't have the physical fitness to do this. And and my father was very clever about it because he never outright told me these things, but he would he would phrase things in such a way that would be that would sound like that was what he meant. So he would say things like, "Well, you know, it's going to take a big commitment," and like there's like like three dots after that, which to me I filled in with, "But you're not a committed person, so you won't be able to do it." Or he say something about like my fitness level, like, and then it would be like in brackets that he never said that he thought that I wasn't going to be fit enough to do it. So, so I thought that I was all these things. I thought that I was flaky and I, I couldn't commit to anything and I wasn't dedicated and, and all these things. But, but I did this challenge twice. I did all the training. I did the challenge itself, which I completed twice. And and it got me thinking that whilst I may may have been made or encouraged to feel a certain way about myself, that that actually wasn't true. It wasn't true. So then when I reflect on it a little bit more, I think, well, what else have I been told about myself that isn't true? So my question to you is what have you been told about yourself that isn't true 
I hope that this helps you. If you need me, I am here for you. Please reach out here in the comments or email me, Claire, C-L-A-R-E, comebackbrighter at gmail.com. Bye.